0: Hello, podcast listeners. This is Rob again, and I'd like to ask you for a favor. As I often say, our mission here at Amplify Process Safety is to save lives by helping companies improve their process safety programs. However, we can only meet our mission by working with more companies, and that's where you come in. If your company needs a PSM audit, or perhaps needs help with a process hazard analysis, or maybe you don't know how to submit an RMP plan to EPA, let us know. These are all things that we can help with. Identify process safety. We are experts in all aspects of PSM and RP regulations, including PHAs, mechanical integrity, management of change, and we also have lots of useful knowledge related to NFPA requirements, combustible dust, etc. So if you or someone at your company could use our help or just wants to talk about some things related to process safety, please. Don't hesitate to reach out Uh, whenever you want to. You can reach me on my direct line, 207-229-0862. And as I said, if you know of anyone who can use our services, please let us know. Till next time, be safe out there.
1: Welcome to Amplify Your Process Safety, the podcast that provides the experience and expertise you need when it comes to process safety and risk management. Our hands-on approach will give you the insight needed, whether you're new to industry or process safety, in a role where you interact with aspects of process safety, or an experienced process safety professional. Join us in our mission to protect people, the companies they work for, and the communities where they operate by making process safety knowledge available to all.
2: Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome back to the Amplify Your Process Safety Podcast. I'm John Doan. Thank you for joining us. For this episode, I'm joined by one of our talented process safety consultants, Molly Myers. Welcome. Hello again. Today, we're going to talk about management of change, talk about what are some examples of changes that require an MOC, and we'll skip over the obvious types of changes and focus more on those subtleties that sometimes get overlooked. Often companies have tables, examples of what is a change and what is a replacement in kind. If yours does, be sure to check it out and deciding on if it requires an MLC or not. If it does not have a table for what constitutes a replacement in kind or a change, feel free to add it in your policy or your procedures to help kind of this, you know, demyth or kind of explain what requires a change.
3: Yeah, so the... Description of what requires management of change in the OSHA standard is pretty broad. You have to manage changes to process chemicals, technology, equipment, and procedures, and changes to facility that affect a covered process. So pretty much anything that's not replacement in kind should go through your MOC process. And it's important to keep in mind the objective of the MOC process, It's really trying to make sure that everybody stays safe, that your process remains safe and allows all of the appropriate personnel to evaluate the changes before you implement them. So this review of is it a change or is it a replacement in kind, that's an effort to clarify things. It shouldn't be an effort to figure out how you can you weasel out of doing a management of change. So if there's ever any doubt about is this a change or is it not, go ahead and err on the conservative side and do a management of change. It's uh, not that big of a deal to submit the management of change paperwork. It routes through all the reviewers. All of the technical reviewers say, yep, I'm not concerned, doesn't have any impact on safety or health. And you move on and it's pretty straightforward. That's a much better approach to have people spend an extra minute or two to look at it and say, nope, I'm not worried than it is to have someone make the assumption that it's replacement in kind, implement it. And then you have some problem crop up that says, oh, shoot, I wish so-and-so had reviewed that because they would have caught that that is an important issue. So the more eyes that see the change, the better. So if in doubt, go ahead and use an MOC. Yeah, so what sort of things have you seen where people are debating whether or not uh, it's a change?
2: Yeah, most of the time when I see it, it's because one, they might not want to make the, do the MOC process and kind of get stuck in the bureaucracy of it. Other times they just don't understand the, you know, the concept of change. But sometimes these are some of these, what I call urban myths, in a sense of this is like a quick way of explaining if it needs an MLC or not. One thing I've heard is if it changes the IDs, it's an MLC. I would agree with that one, but sometimes I don't, I don't think it's fully encompassing or, you know, cover everything it needs to change. So I think it's like a quick, you know, if it changes a ID, yeah, it's an MLC. But if you look at it as not a ID change, it's not an MLC. That one I don't, that one is not true because sometimes there's things that's not on
3: the P&IDs that
2: still has to be looked at.
3: Exactly. Yep. We'll go and over some of those in a minute.
2: For sure, for sure. And the other one that I've heard is if it affects the process, it needs a MOC. And sometimes that one's very broad and kind of just could follow through some gaps if you don't fully understand the change.
3: Exactly. Uh, yeah. And as we talked about, Sometimes there's bureaucracy associated with these MOC systems and processes, and sometimes I've seen companies implement parallel systems to the main MOC process that's kind of a streamlined alternative that still goes through the required approvals and reviews but it's a little bit simpler and easier if for instance you're just making minor updates to pnid say somebody realized that oh there's a pressure gauge out in the field that wasn't reflected on the pnid or oh i've got one more vent valve in this line and the pnid shows one but we've actually got two in the field and so i need to mark that on the pnid it's not really a significant change in the process. You're just updating the drawing to match what's out in the field. So sometimes I've seen companies have a simplified uh, system to manage things like that. And that helps get around that hesitancy to take on the bureaucracy of the MOC process for something that's really simple.
2: Yeah, and the other thing I've seen is just having a really good MOC initiator who understands the change so that they streamline it in the sense of this person needs to see it, this person needs to see it, and this person needs to see it. Or maybe another person doesn't need to see it because we're not messing with it. Or right. they're like, oh, this is strictly documentation update, and it's going to be a quicker streamline.
3: Uh, right, right. Yeah, you you really need to kind of match the MOC process with the extent of the changes and the risk that is presented by it. Yeah. And match those efforts up to be most efficient so anyway yeah we've covered some of the general so let's look at some examples of cases in which there's a change or might be a change and people are kind of scratching their heads saying is this really or is it replacement in kind so let's look at some of these subtleties yeah an example is i usually run across in
2: like the valve and piping areas where it's just like Changing just the type of valve, going from a globe valve to, let's say, a gate valve or a ball valve. Some people might say it's still a valve, nothing changes. I close it, I open, does the same thing. (laughs) But unfortunately, it does not. It does change the process. It could be, you know, is it easier to open? Is it easier to close? Or maybe it changes the flow regime. So it, you know, might be a little bit more turbulent going through the pipes. Now you're causing some pipe damage. Or it maybe that type of valve gets plugged up a lot more in that type of service. So you kind of have to look at the the types of valve going on there because it could change your flow regime. Or if you're changing the type of pressure rating or size or packing material, that all affects what could be happening. It could fail more or it could fail less, but you still need to document it and kind of just make sure you're not adding a hazard that's not
3: being foreseen. Wow. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So moving on from piping and valves, let's look at electrical systems. Sometimes people just change out a motor and they're like, does this require a change? It's not changing the wet end of the pump, just changing the electrical side. You should still probably evaluate that with an MOC. Process. Sometimes the motors have different efficiencies or different load limits. They may allow the pump to run further out on a curve than expected or less. Uh, So, even that type of change should be evaluated. On pressure vessels, obviously, I think people know that if you're changing a pressure vessel or adding a a nozzle or things of that sort, then that's pretty obviously a change. One thing I've seen trip people up sometimes is the difference between a design pressure and a MAWP or maximum allowable working pressure. So the design pressure is what the original engineer dreamed up as the requirements for the process. And then when you buy the equipment The vendor figures out what it's going to take to fabricate it and then does the calculations and provides you with what the actual MAWP is for the vessel. So, for instance, the engineer may have said, I need 150 PSIG, and then by the time it gets fabricated, well, now you've got 180 PSIG rated vessel. When you go to replace that, you need to match that MAWP matching the design pressure doesn't do you any good because there's so many other parts of PSM that are keyed off of that MAWP that once the vessel's built, that's the important piece that you have to match.
2: I got a question about that one, Molly. What if, let's say, that vessel's been in service for 15 to 20 years and you get an inspection on
3: it and,
2: let's say, it gets re-rated?
3: Yep. Yeah, good point. So, yeah, that derate often it goes down. I I don't think I've seen them go up (laughs) 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 unless they they trade temperature rating for pressure or something like that. But yeah, anytime that maintenance gets involved and reevaluates the pressure rating for a vessel, then that definitely needs to go through an MOC process. It's not changing the physical vessel out in the field, but it is changing the rating of it which could impact things like your pressure relief design or your pha risk assessments. So good point. Yep. Perfect.
2: The next thing I want to talk about is just heat exchangers or shell and tube exchangers or air coolers. One thing that people not might not realize is depending on the service, your tubes could get plugged. It could be from sand, it could be from dirt, it could just be from trash you know just right or or it could
3: be that it sprung a leak and maintenance decided oh, we've just got a handful of tubes let's plug them intentionally
2: yeah so it doesn't get worse and let's get back online so you know keep production going but yeah. you still have to remember plugging those tubes does change how much flow you're getting through your heat exchanger, how much heat you're removing or adding. So to a certain point, you have to have a standard saying if it changes 5% or if we plug 5% of the tubes, we're gonna need an see If we change mm-hmm. or if we plug X amount, we gotta change. Cause that, now you're changing your flow through your heat exchanger and how much duty your product is exchanging there. So that's just a subtlety exactly. of you might not realize it. Or if you have to, stress relieve it or do some other changes where you're like, oh, it's a minor change. There's no problem there, but it's still a change. So you do have to you know, document it and make sure everything's good there. Uh, I know, i right. heard, heard a story where they changed the metallurgy of the heat exchanger to be a little bit more resilient to corrosion. And what they're using is, I think, titanium.
1: Mm-hmm. They
2: had to change their SOP because they had to tell like the maintenance workers and workers around that exchanger, we have to use a different type of sling when we're loading it because we could cause contaminants on the bundles oh, and corrode it.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Some of those subtle changes that a chemical engineer may not be cognizant of, but uh, the mechanical engineer is well aware of uh, that MOC process allows you to get those additional eyes on the issue and catch things that, you know one discipline or another might miss for sure.
2: For sure, the next one I want to talk about is just instrumentation. This one might talk about you know, it could talk about different types of transmitters or range of instrumentations to model numbers or manufacturer changes um, or just control valves and the trim types of metallurgy in there. And that's important because sometimes you could be, you know, in a PHA, and like, all right, if this valve, you know, for some reason stuck open or just read wrong and just. You know closes mm-hmm. on you is there going to be a huge pressure drop there or is it just going to get blown away or is it going to get corroded so sometimes you know making some of these subtle changes like oh we're going to up the trim so it's mm-hmm. not as you know prone to corrosion or oh, we're going to type change the you know type valve so it you know doesn't blow across and you know pressure up your downstream vessels those are yeah, all subtle with the, uh, there.
3: yeah with the control valve trim sometimes that can uh... Play an important role in the relief design basis too, oh, uh, depending sure. on what the function of the control valve is.
2: For sure. Or sometimes, you know, like supply chain issues, and you're like, oh, it's 20 weeks out to get this. Let's change to this <laughs> one because it's easier. That one is another change where you might not realize, oh, this valve is a little bit more, su- you know, prone to failing here. Um, yep. The other one that I've seen, it's like a minor one, is like sight glasses. The amount mm. of times that might have, you know, I say blown out or just failed just because maybe the temperature is too high or they change the type of glass they're doing and, right. it's, you know, more prone or, to failing.
3: Or they go from multiple little bullseyes to a longer stretch of glass that may change the failure mode. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah.
2: So just okay. subtle things like that or, you know, sometimes maintenance workers or you know workers have a good idea it's like oh this is always going to happen let's just do this so that it doesn't happen so you got to pick up that especially on the instrumentation since it's smaller and sometimes not really well known
3: right right yeah something else that's uh often kind of overlooked or not well known are um electrical one line changes so that can encompass a whole variety of things from simple little circuits for uh, lighting out in the field or heat tracing, all the way up to powering pumps and fans, MCCs, buses, all that kinds of stuff. And when those changes are made, it may be something where the electrician is just trying to update from 1970s technology to current equipment and that sort of thing. But that still should go through the MOC process uh, for a a few different reasons. One, sometimes those changes in electrical loads can impact pressure relief design. If you've got a complex process that may have multiple partial power failure scenarios, how those electrical loads are balanced uh, can make a huge difference. It's also a great opportunity to ensure that your documentation stays up to date. Uh, some of those critical documents outside of P&IDs are sometimes overlooked and not uh, maintained as well as they should be and electrical one lines or some of those that should be kept up to date. So going through the MOC process provides that rigorous mechanism to get those drawings uh, up to date. So everybody knows what you've got installed.
2: For sure. And this kind of goes back to that, those urban myths I've heard about MLCs. It's like, does it affect the process or does it change the IDs? Those typically wouldn't affect the process or IDs in like a direct way, but right. in a indirect way or just systematically, they do play a role. Um, so that kind of goes back to that urban myths discussion we had earlier in this podcast of just because it doesn't effectively, directly you know, change yep. the process, it does affect the process
3: safety management exactly system. exactly so let's move on to more process specific changes some of those include changes to chemicals or your catalysts and you may think well i just use this chemical for cleaning for maintenance You know, we finish the process and then we do a cleaning cycle and I'm changing what sort of acid I'm using for my cleaning or a solvent or something like that. You still need to run those through an MOC and take a close look at inadvertent mixing tables to make sure that you're not introducing something that could cross-contaminate or create a hazard if it mixes with something that's left behind. Same thing goes for catalysts. If you're changing a catalyst, maybe just a brand or something, the reactivity may be different, how it responds may be different, and how it's loaded and handled, and the PPE required for um, charging that may differ. So, make sure to take all of those types of changes into account with your uh, MOC process.
2: Yeah, and on that one, I've also seen it accidentally changed the maximum uh, intended volume or inventory of Mm. chemicals. Or if you added like a chemical injection, you just added a chemical in an area that might be very flammable, or there's a lot of just flammables in the area, so it changes your facility siding. So I've seen changes like that as well. So it's just not what happens to the process, but in the psm covered area as well okay and the other thing i like you know talking about chemicals is kind of just your operating changes or procedures that might happen this one i've seen a few times let's say you have someone from corporate who's like hey this feedstock's cheaper let's try this out you know and let's try it out because it's cheaper and our margins will be better but changes like that end up having some repercussions people don't realize it could be like crude where you get heavy crude or light crude or sour gas or sweet gas, sometimes your process can't handle it. You know, Mm -hmm. let's say you have some contaminants where your range is like, we could handle from zero ppm to 10 ppm, you know, in parts per million, or it goes from, we can handle this light stuff, but this heavy stuff, we can't really separate. So there's subtle changes where someone from, you know, corporate might not understand, they might see it from a financial benefit, but your equipment Mm -hmm. can't really handle it. So stuff like that requires an MLC. So your engineers could be like, yes, we can handle this extra contaminants.
1: Or sometimes those
3: um, uh, feedstocks will impact your pressure relief design or your metallurgy. You might end up with significantly more corrosion happening than you were expecting. Yeah, it's cheaper for a reason. It's probably because people (laughs) can't handle it. So just things
2: like that to look into, especially on feedstock. Or if uh your vendors end up changing difference, especially if you're like in oil and gas and you're on the mid midstream of production side where this field's turning sour or this field's changing over time, just be more aware of what's going on and just making sure your system's rated for whatever's going on there. Some other ones is you know, maybe you're a chemist, you're in a lab people are like, hey, we got this new recipe we want to try to or blending we need to do because it meets specs better or it does whatever it meets, whatever goal is better. That still, you know, some settle with you like, oh, let's just add a little bit more of this or less of that. That should be good. Mm-hmm. You still need to do a MOC just to evaluate, is there a risk I'm taking on here that I'm not aware of?
3: Right, right. That That may be a good opportunity to do a temporary MOC if the chemist wants to try something out, you know, they're at a lab scale, it looks great, they need to try a larger batch size and they want to run it on the main production line, but they're not sure it's going to be, you know, a good product or a good uh, approach. Set it up as a temporary MOC and let them run one or two batches, but make sure that that gets reviewed before they just pop out and uh, say, here, can you run this for me?
2: Oh, for sure, for sure.
3: Yeah. Also, on operational changes, if, say, somebody wants to slightly increase a temperature or pressure or something like that, that's where those operating limit tables come into play. If you're already spelled out that says, yeah, I can run this between 100 and 120 C, and you change your set point from 105 to 110 you're still within your approved range and you don't need an MOC. But if you hadn't spelled out an operating range and then you're changing your set pressure, then you do need to do that as an MOC. So that's one advantage of pre-thinking out those operating tables and specifying defined limits uh, whether it be operating ranges or quantities of raw materials or blends or additives that you can add. If you've spelled those ranges out in your SOPs, as long as you stay within those, then it doesn't count as a change.
2: For sure, that's same with piping standards as well. If you have that spelled out of this service is what we're gonna use. And if you deviate from that, you're gonna need a MLC because now you have to evaluate what the hazards are if you change your piping specs or deviate from your piping specs.
3: Right, okay. So, one last thing that we wanted to talk about in terms of subtle changes that may get overlooked are pressure relief valves. I think everybody's pretty familiar with if you change, you know, sizes, you go from a 1D2 to a 4P6. You know, a 4x6 valve is way different. But if you're using the same size, for instance, a 4P6, a 4x6 with a P orifice, but you're just changing vendors because of availability or your local rep is able to provide better service and you want to switch. So you're going from, say, a 4P6 consolidated to a 4P6 ferrous relief valve. That's still a change. Those sizes are a general approximation. But when you get down to doing the actual relief calculations, the flow coefficients and uh, sometimes pressure ratings, especially for back pressure ratings, can be different between manufacturers. And so those brand changes, even though it's the same size, uh, still needs to be considered as a change. That gets sometimes overlooked.
2: Nice. That's something that I probably could have overlooked if I didn't know that.
3: Yep. That That's the reason you get a lot of different people reviewing these MOCs. The more eyes, the better to make sure that you don't miss something.
2: For sure. If you have any questions or comments about this week's episode, or if you have like, what about this? Is this a replacement kind, or does this need an MOC? Feel free to shoot us an email. If you have any questions about process safety related, we'll love to hear from you. Send us a voice message using the link in our episode description, or shoot us an email to podcast at amplifyconsultants.com.
3: Yeah, so we talked a little bit about some subtle changes for MOCs, but if you want to learn more about just some basics of management of change. You can take a listen to an earlier episode number five or our Back to Basics part four, which cover general information about MOCs. And then a more recent episode 48 talks about using the MOC process to cover organizational changes. So take a listen to some of those other podcasts if you've got additional questions about management of change. Thank you for listening. And until next time, be safe out there.